0: Well, good morning. It uh, truly has been a bittersweet week for the Summers Avenue family, and we have days to come where we will again be called upon, as Steve pointed out, as we are so good at doing, and standing by one another, and encouraging one another, being there for one another. And so um, we've got some families that we're certainly going to be surrounding over these next few weeks, along with those who are still suffering illnesses long-term, short-term, And such. But I want to inject this morning a little of the sweet and the bittersweet because this week, of course, we delivered our boxes who are no longer here to Glenview Elementary. So for those that don't know, uh, once a month we go to Glenview Elementary here in North Little Rock and we have a group that goes and we volunteer at a fresh food pantry. And so we help uh, assemble boxes and bags of fresh food uh, that that is sent home with these families. And so uh, our what we wanted to do as a congregation is bless these families during the long, the extended break between Christmas and the time when school comes back because that's when when their pantry at home goes bare. And so uh, because of your generosity, we were able to bless those 40 families who regularly come to that pantry. And uh, I want to read uh, a text I got from Whitney, who is uh, the counselor there that we work with and uh, to let you know what she said Um, after we delivered them. She said, I just wanted to send you a text to let you know that today was a huge success. Several people cried when I gave them the gift card and several more gushed about what a blessing it was. Thank you so much for doing this to this congregation. And because of your generosity, each family went home with a $50 gift card to Walmart. That's overwhelming for them. Overwhelming, and it was. And... Because of your generosity, uh, the first of this last week, we found out that one of the teachers there at Glenview, her husband, unexpectedly lost his job. And so we were able to also bless them with $150 from your generosity. and, uh, And she was in tears. And so God got a lot of glory this week through the Summers Avenue congregation. I just want to thank you so much for that. Another sweetness is our prayers were answered and we were able to go Wednesday to Cummins Prison and we were able to baptize Travis Smith. We have a new brother in Christ this week. And so uh, I went with uh, Gil and with uh, um, uh, Jack McKee and so we were able to do that and um, you know, through the, the connection that he has had with Summers Avenue, we go uh, once a quarter to Cummins Prison and we do a worship service there. And so we got acquainted with him there and then uh, through our Bible correspondence course that uh, Gil and Charles and Frank uh, coordinate each week. They've been studying with him and teaching him. And so we were able to visit with Travis for a little while after his baptism. Gil brought some uh, materials, some literature and some uh, encouragement for him uh, as he begins his uh, his new walk in Christ. He's up for parole in uh, February. And so we're praying Uh, that things go well for him uh, while he is still incarcerated and that things will go well then. Here's what we'd like to do. We would love to shower him with some cards of encouragement. So I want to ask you if over these next uh, two or three weeks, let's say by New Year's Day, because I know we got holidays and stuff, if you will write a card of encouragement to Travis and you can deposit it here at the office and we'll get it addressed and we'll send it uh, to him. But uh, we would love to do that, to send him a bunch of cards of encouragement to Travis Smith. And so we'll get that out in the email and have it in the bulletin to remind us. Uh, but we'd love to do that over the next couple of weeks to encourage our new brother in Christ uh, in his walk. So uh, we'll hear more about that. So we're in Ruth, uh, the book of Ruth, in, in chapter 3. And so you know, chapter 3 is really the height of the tension and the drama and the suspense in this book here. And so it's the turning point of this story, really, is everything is pivoting on this. And the reality is that it's just kind of a, a hold-on-to-your-seats moment here because Ruth is about to raise the temperature on the romance in this uh, blossoming relationship. And this chapter right here will leave people in, in ways that, that, that will shock us. And so if you haven't been with us these last uh, couple of weeks, let me just catch you up uh, briefly, up to speed a little bit. So the story of Ruth begins with Naomi... Uh, This woman and her two sons who leave their home in Bethlehem following her husband, Elimelech, because of a famine. So they go to the land of Moab. Moab is like the last place in the world you would expect some Jews from Bethlehem to end up. But that's where they go. Moab does not have a good history with the people of Israel, and so this is a shock in itself. And so they arrive, and after they arrive, unexpectedly, Elimelech, her husband, dies. And then not soon after that, her two sons die. And so Naomi is now left in this foreign land among a foreign people with two daughters-in-law, foreign daughters-in-law. Her Jewish sons had married Moabite women. And so they are left now. Three women, no children. They're widowless, childless, no heirs, no family to carry on their line. And so Naomi now hears that there is food back in Bethlehem. It's time to go back home. And so she's going to make the trek back home, but she tells her daughter's-in-law, she says, you don't need to go with me. You stay here, and this is your homeland. You stay here. You There's a good chance that you can remarry, have a family, and go on with your life. And so one of them says, you're right, I'm going to stay here. But Ruth, she says, no, I'm going where you go. I'm sticking with you. Your people will be my people. Your God will now be my God. And more so, I'm going to be buried where you're buried. We are in this for life. And so she says, I'm committed to you. And so Naomi and Ruth, they walk together back to Bethlehem. And Naomi, whose name means pleasant, enters Bethlehem. And her friends recognize her and they come up to her. Hey, Naomi, Naomi. And she says, no, do not call me Naomi anymore. Don't call me pleasant. You call me Mara, which means bitter. Because I left here years ago as a woman full of life, full of future. And I have come back empty. I am bitter about this. And so we've got a major problem now. These women come back to Bethlehem and they've got needs. They've got need of food and they've got need of family. These are the two of the most important things that a woman can have in this day and time. And so Ruth goes out into the fields to glean. And so the following God's law, good Jewish uh, farm owners would leave the, the edges, the perimeter of their fields, unharvested so that strangers and, and poor folks, folks who were destitute, could come along and they could gather some of that extra So they wouldn't have to go beg. They wouldn't starve to death. And so she's going out to look and see is somebody following God's law to do this. And so just so happens she ends up in the field of a guy named Boaz. And so Boaz looks around and Ruth catches Boaz's eye. And so the rest of this story is what dreams are made of here. You've got a meal of roasted grain, as we saw last week. You've got a bushel of barley on her back. You've got a oil and vinegar. It's an incredibly romantic scene, right? And so she comes back to Naomi, and Naomi cannot believe all this grain she's brought, like 50 pounds of this stuff that she's brought, enough to last them the rest of a year to survive. And so the best part, though, is when Ruth tells her, guess whose field I've been in? And so Naomi immediately recognizes Boaz as being a, a part of the family line of Elimelech. He's kinfolk, this Boaz guy, which means that Boaz is uniquely qualified to care for and to protect and to provide for them. So this is amazing now. And so Naomi tells Ruth, hey, you stay in his field. Don't go anywhere else. You go back where, he, where his ownership, you go back to him And you you glean from there. And so that's what she did. Week after week during the harvest, Ruth goes back to the field of Boaz. So food is taken care of. But family is still a void. So we've solved one problem. we still got one big one. It's about this family. So at the end of Ruth 2, we're left with the odd couple. We have have Ruth and Naomi, the mother-in-law and the foreign daughter-in-law. And so in in chapter 2 and verse 23, we're left with Ruth continued to live With her mother-in-law and so that scene kind of fades out and we begin a new chapter in this book and this one begins under the cover of darkness these events are going to happen overnight and so in ruth chapter one ruth chapter three verse one where we'll pick up this morning at that time naomi her mother-in-law said to her my daughter i must find a home for you so that you will be secure and so remember, Boaz is a kinsman, a kinsman redeemer, somebody qualified and really obligated to care for her. He's an eligible bachelor for Ruth. And so, uh, he, particularly eligible because he's kinfolk. And so after all the barley had been harvested, you would have this secluded area that the, the harvesters would go to. And so in the cool evening breeze, they would use pitchforks and they would throw that up into the air And the the cool breeze would separate, you know, the, the wheat from the chaff. And so you would have the heavy, heavy grain that would fall to the ground, and that's what would be, you know, bundled up, bagged up, and it's called winnowing. And so Naomi knows that that evening, they're gonna be, Boaz is gonna be winnowing this, this crop, this barley, in a place that's gonna be relatively secluded. And so up until this point, Boaz has been in the field. So it's not like Ruth could just walk up to him in the field and say, hey, you ever thought about marrying me? <laughs> you know? So that, that wasn't appropriate. So we had to find a right time and a right place to do this. So it hasn't happened up to this point, but now we have a unique opportunity. And so here is what Naomi says needs to happen. And here's where we tend to raise an eyebrow. And so in verse three, she says, you bathe yourself, rub on some perfumed oil, and you get dressed up, and then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let the man know you're there until he finishes his meal. So if you're hearing this as an original reader or hearer, you're blushing right now because you know like if there's children nearby, you're covering their ears because this is getting a little interesting. And so, you know, can, can you believe Naomi's saying this? She's telling her to do this. But let's put some perspective on it, okay? So in Second Samuel chapter 12, we're going to look at a parallel scene. Second Samuel chapter 12, you've got King David. And King David is in a period of mourning leading up to the death of his son, anticipating his son's death. And so after the child dies, here's what we read in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 20. So David got up from the ground, bathed, put on oil, and changed his clothes. And so what this represents in this culture, David cleans up to signify that he is left behind this period of mourning. He's he's moving on from this this season of mourning that he was in. And so this picture we have here with Ruth is that, okay, Naomi says, hey, Ruth, look, you've been a widow. And you've been a picture of mourning for all of these years. And it's time to to put that behind you. Not put the loss behind you. Not put the pain behind you. But you've got to move on. You've got to move on and show that you're ready. to, to You're no longer in mourning. Because when people are in a period of mourning, everybody stayed away. Nobody was going to pursue a young lady who was in a period of mourning. Nor would you pursue a young man who was. It was just respectable to let them have their space. So you've got to show, Naomi says, you've got to show them that you're ready for somebody to be in your space. You're an eligible bachelorette. And not only that, you smell better. And so she says you need to clean up and get ready for this. And so in verse 4, when Boaz gets ready to go to sleep, you take careful notice of the place where he lies down. And then you go, uncover his legs, and lie down beside him. He will tell you what you should do. And so the picture here is not, okay, when, when Boaz gets drunk, you do, that's not at all what it's saying here. It simply means you wait until he is in a good mood. Because we know that men are in better moods after they've had a nice meal. At least I am. So that's what she's saying. You know. So when he goes over to the edge of the winnowing floor, and when he lays down to take his rest, and he looks up at the stars and he falls asleep, Naomi says, here's what you're going to do. And this is where it gets difficult for us. And so it's, it's filled... It's filled with overtones. And so to hear this, you're thinking, what in the world is she telling her to do? What, is, what kind of mother-in-law is this? And so the minds of the Old Testament hearers would be racing at this point. And so Ruth replies to Naomi, I'll do everything you've told me. I can't believe it. She didn't, she didn't say this after giving much thought to what she was being asked to do. And so she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law had instructed her to do. She fully obeyed her mother-in-law. She did it. And so we're sitting here and as an audience we're thinking what in the world just happened? And so Boaz finishes his meal and was feeling satisfied and he lay down to sleep at the far end of the grain heap. Then Ruth crept up quietly, uncovered his legs and lay down beside him. So Scripture says it just so happens that Boaz was away from everybody else just so happens. Remember this from last week? Just coincidentally, just by luck, no, we know better than that, don't we? Put yourself in Ruth's shoes at this point. You know, you're hiding out in some little crevice or something where you're watching everything going on and you're trying to be quiet uh, until everything is finished. Nobody can see you and so you're watching Boaz. Your eyes are on him. This is a romantic scene here and so it's intense and you can almost feel Ruth's Heart beating as she's trying to control her breathing so that she can't be heard or be seen or make any noise. And so the anticipation here in waiting to approach Boaz. And so then finally she sees him walk over to the side by himself and he lays down and he goes to sleep. And if you watch somebody drift off to sleep, you can tell. You can kind of tell when they are when they're entering the deep end of the pool. You know, you can tell their breathing changes, you know, they kind of get more relaxed It'll maybe a little quieter or a little louder depending on how you sleep. You snore. And so their breathing changes. So she tiptoes over. She tiptoes over. She uncovers His feet. And she lays down. <laughs> wow. And so, there's nothing in Scripture. Know this. There is nothing in Scripture that calls into question the morality and the nobility and the purity of Ruth or Boaz. There's nothing that calls that into question. But, the scene's intense. It really is. And so in verse 8, in the middle of the night, he was startled, (laughs) you think, and turned over, and now he saw a woman lying beside him. So in the middle of the night, something startles him. And I know exactly what happened because on more than one occasion, there is a certain third party who makes her way into our bed in the middle of the night. And no matter how stealth she tries to be, which, by the way, is without great effort, I'm always startled awake by this feeling that something is upon me. And many of you know what that is. And so, I know I know what happened here. And so, But I love verse 9. I love verse 9. He said, Who are you? And she replied, I am Ruth your servant. Spread the corner of your garment over me, for you are a guardian redeemer. You are a kinsman redeemer. And so I wonder here, you know, you can't get this from the the words, the paper, the ink. But how did he say this? Was it a confused? You know, he's like, who who are you? Was he trying to, you know, get his eyes focused? Was it shocked? Like, whoa, who are you? You know, how did he wake up from this? Or was it just kind of a cool whisper? Who are you? You know, he's trying to figure out, is this just one of my guys what's going on here you know you wake up you weren't expecting this and it's interesting how she answers she says i'm your servant who are you i'm your servant you remember when she met boaz after she told him how he had spoken kindly to whom You have spoken kindly, sir, to your servant. Remember, she says that there. And the word she used initially on that first encounter was almost like a slave. You have spoken kindly to somebody who who works for you, who is your worker, your lowest worker by that matter. But this time it's different. It's a different word. It's hard for us to to put these nuances into English. It's a different word here though. This, This word denotes a relationship with someone. I am Ruth, and we got something we need to talk about. It's basically what she was saying. She was saying, like, I'm Ruth, and I'm available for a relationship with you. And so at this point, Ruth diverts from Naomi's plans. Remember what did Naomi say? Simple instructions. She said, uncover his feet, lie down, and be quiet, basically. He'll tell you what to do, right? But Ruth keeps talking. (laughs) Ruth keeps talking. Was she nervous? No. She had some business. And so Ruth is telling him what to do. She's telling Boaz what to do, which makes great sense to me because, guys, we don't work with subtle hints, do we? We need to come out and say it. So she's coming out and say it. And what Ruth is telling him to do is something that only a husband does for a wife. Spread your garment over me. Cover me up with your garment. Bring your protection over me. Here's symbolism here. Bring me under your care. Bring me close to your side. And the word garment here, this is so amazing about Scripture. The word garment here is the same word in chapter 2 and verse 12 when Boaz prays over Ruth. He said, I pray that the Lord would repay your kindness. And he talks about bringing you under His wing. You remember this, under His wing. And wings is the same word translated here as garment. So basically, Ruth is saying, hey, Boaz, you remember when you prayed the Lord would spread His protection over me? Do you remember that? Well, guess what? It's time for you to be the answer to that prayer. You be the provision of God because you are a kinsman redeemer. So how's Boaz going to respond to this? How's he going to react? Moabite women do not just propose to Israelite men. A worker in the field doesn't just propose to their boss, to the owner. I mean, this is breaking every conceivable social rule that there is. Risky, to even say the least. But Boaz realizes there's a woman at his feet, which is crazy in itself. And this is a historical period. Remember, we set up this this study, the beginning of this book. This is a historical period of the judges when scripture says that everyone was doing what? What was right in their own eyes. There was all kinds of nonsense going on in the world and within the Jewish culture itself too. And so this is dangerous. What is going on here? How's he going to respond? And in verse 10, he said, May you be rewarded by the Lord, my dear. This act of devotion is greater than what you did before. For you have not sought to marry one of the young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my dear, don't you worry. I intend to do for you everything you propose. For everyone in the village knows that you are a worthy woman. And it's like, whew, collective sigh of relief. This is, the, this is exactly how we were hoping it would work out. Imagine that, right? By chance, not. So Boaz could have punished her, for this, he was well within his right for this foreign woman to be where she shouldn't have been and to be doing what she should not have been doing. And I would encourage you to go back and read the last half of Proverbs 31 and be fascinated about the noble woman and think about Ruth. Now there's some, there's some argument that perhaps the, the order that was settled upon the way our Old Testament is put in order, that perhaps that wasn't how it started out. That perhaps... Proverbs fell right before Ruth, which would make perfect sense as you go from who can find a noble woman and it lists the characteristics of the noble woman, and then there was a woman. Fascinating. Go back and read Proverbs 31. We don't have time this morning. But think about that noble woman and the description of Ruth. And so Boaz says here in verse 12, Now yes, it is true that I am a guardian, but there's another guardian who is a closer relative than I am. Remain here tonight then in the morning, if he agrees to marry you, fine, let him do so. But if he does not want to do so, I promise as surely as the Lord lives to marry you. You sleep here until morning. So just when things were getting good, there's another dude in the picture, right? So we got, we got to deal with this. Ruth. And here's the thing, Ruth didn't know this. Ruth didn't know this. Ruth would not have known this. But Boaz told her. Boaz was up front. This is the kind of guy Boaz was. He told her, look, I'm going to do the right thing. But there's even a rider thing because there's somebody ahead of me. So we've got to check with him first. That's pretty awesome. And you know neither one of these are sleeping well that night. Can you imagine? <laughs> and everybody's awake, you know, and you've got, got to be thinking. You know, Boaz has to be thinking, what's everybody going to think? What's my family going to think? How am I going to navigate this? And then Ruth is still sitting there, laying there, realizing that in 24 hours I'm going to know who my husband is. And so she slept beside him until morning. She woke up while it was still dark. And Boaz thought, no one must know that a woman visited the threshing floor. And so he said, hold out the shawl that you're wearing and grip it tightly. And as she held it tightly, he measured out about 60 pounds of barley into the shawl and put it on her shoulders. Then he went into town. Now you talk about a strong girl. But I'm talking about a strong shawl. Somebody put together some good clothing material for a shawl to hold 60 pounds. Kara Ellis, I want to see some of this stuff you're producing, sewing, and I want to see if it can hold 60 pounds. So, you know, so he sends her home. He's already given her about 50. And now he gives her 60 more. They've got more food than they can handle. But do you know who slept less than Ruth that night? I guarantee you. There were no Facebook check-ins. There were no posts to keep her updated. Naomi has to have been beside herself all night long wondering, what's going on? What is happening? And so Ruth returned to her mother-in-law. And when Ruth returned to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how'd things turn out? How'd it go? My daughter. And Ruth told her about all that the man had done for her. How did it go? And the phrase is literally, who are you? When, when Ruth appears back to Naomi, her first words are, Who are you? It wasn't that she couldn't see her. It wasn't that she had forgotten about her. It wasn't that she didn't recognize her. It's the same question, Who are you? that was asked of Ruth by Boaz in verse 9. It's the question of the book. Who are you? Is this a Moabitess? Are you a Moabite or not? Because you're looking a lot like an Israelite right now with things that are going on. And I love this. In verse 17, she said, He gave me these 60 pounds of barley. For he said to me, Do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Where have we seen that word before? Empty. Boaz says, you take this food. Don't you go back to your mother-in-law empty. Empty. Naomi came back from Moab with Ruth by her side and she said she had come back what? Empty. And in God's sovereign design by this encounter, we have this picture of Ruth coming back from Boaz with not just grain, but a promise. A promise to redeem. A promise to see that their family is redeemed. This message. This message is, you're not empty. You're not empty. And when we feel empty and we feel alone and when it seems that God is far from us, He may very well be setting the stage for His greatest display of faithfulness in our life. It's just beautiful. It's just beautiful how much God loves us. And when it seems like nothing is working out, nothing's working out like it's supposed to, that's Naomi. That's Naomi at the end of Ruth chapter one, standing there with Ruth by her side, telling her friends, "I got nothing. I got nothing." And here's a pic. This woman is a picture of just how nothing I've got. And little does she know that standing right beside her really is a picture of the fullness of God in ways that she could have never fathomed. And in verse eighteen, we have the last words recorded by Ruth and Naomi in this book. In verse 18, Naomi said, Stay put, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest until he has taken care of the matter today. And so Boaz has taken center stage now. But the reality is, things are not in his hands. They're not in Ruth's hands. Things are not in Naomi's hands. See, things are ultimately now in the hands of Yahweh, the Lord God Almighty. They're in His hands. And now we're really waiting to see what's He going to do. Ruth has done her part. Naomi has done her part. Boaz has done her part. Lord, what are You going to do now? And isn't that the tension of life? Isn't that what we wrestle with every day? All of life is in the hands of the Lord God Almighty. And three times in this book, chapter 1 and verse 8, chapter 2 and verse 20, chapter 3 and verse 10, you have this Hebrew insight into the work of God. And the, work is, the word is hesed. You don't need to know that. But this word occurs over and over again in some form. And here's what you do need to recognize. There's no English translation for this word. And so it shows up in our Bible as loving kindness. It shows up as loyalty. It shows up as faithfulness. It shows up as grace. It shows up as mercy. It shows up as compassion. See, this is uniquely divine love that flows from God to His children. And it shows up in Naomi. And it shows up in Boaz. And it shows up in Ruth. And it shows up in you and it shows up in me too when we're living obedient to the will of God when we're caring for others, when we're kind to others, when we're protecting others, when we're putting the needs of others above ourselves, that's when it shows up. And we do it not for our own good. We do it for their good. Because it was not for the good of Jesus that He left the glory of heaven and He came to be born as a human baby. It wasn't for the good of Jesus that He lived as an outcast traveling from community to community presenting the kingdom of God. And it was not for the good of Jesus that He suffered and He died on a cross. It wasn't for the good of Jesus. It was for the good of you. and It was for the good of me. It was said, That is why. And God gives us this alternative to the darkness that Satan permeates so much of humanity with. And God shows us another way. He shows us His way. It's a way of purity. It's a way of holiness. And it's love for God that springs forth in this true love for one another. Not lusting and pursuing after one another in this world. And God wants us to rest in His love story. Because He knows exactly how it's going to end up. And the things you may not see, the things you may not see right now, God sees. The things you may not know right now, He knows. And God is guiding your life. Your life out of love. He's guiding your life for your good and for His glory. That's the story of Ruth. And if we can believe this, that happened to these three, and how God used them for His glory, His greater glory, story within a story, And we're coming to the end of the story next week. But our story is still written each day and each moment. God is using us and He's using our life for our good in His glory. The hardest part, the challenge, the biggest struggle is what now? Why? When? How? How? And we wrestle with those. And ultimately, ultimately, We've got to give that over to God. Because we don't know those answers. Some of those we may never know. We all hope in glory we will have the full picture revealed. It won't matter then. But we may not know now. We've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep our eyes on the cross. And know that no matter what circumstances come our way, where we find ourselves in life, that God is still working in our lives, with us and through us, for His glory and for our good. And that very well may permeate into the lives of those around us this morning this morning what's keeping you from allowing God's work in your life to bring him glory is there some sin that you're holding on to some way of thinking that you have just latched yourself onto that is pulling you away from God's will for your life perhaps there's some relationship that is broken that is damaged that is begging for forgiveness for healing that's depending on you to take that first step. You take it this morning. that first ultimate step is towards Jesus Christ. And if you have not confessed Him as Lord and Savior, if you have not repented of your sins, if you have not put on Christ in baptism for the forgiveness of your sins, to receive the gift of God's Spirit and the promise of eternal life, why do you wait? Why do you wait? Because God is still working. He's working through someone today to bring you to that decision. What a wonderful, blessed morning as we assemble with the saints. God Himself is with us. And the angels will rejoice with us. What will your decision be this morning as you give your life to God as we stand and sing this good song?